Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. Very excited to have on the other side of the mic a familiar uh, face to the show. You're going to get to see her face, I think, for the first time. Now that we're doing video, Kristen Smith of the Blockchain Association. We, I mean, at this point, we've kind of lost track on whether this is your seventh or eighth or sixth appearance. Obviously, you were neck and neck with one Sam Bankman-Fried. Full disclosure, you did not... Uh, provide us with a bridge loan. So just getting that out of the way in case people might be confused. Um, so let's let's just start there since I made the joke. Hopefully we won't have to edit that out. Um, are people on the Hill over SPF? Obviously hope you're doing well, but let's just let's just dive into it. Yeah, no, let's dive right in. Great, great to yeah. see you, Frank. Always, always great, great to be back. Um, yeah, I think we're getting beyond the news of SBF. I mean, obviously, at the end of the year last year and into Q1, that was a huge focus uh, of members of Congress. But, you know, things move on. We've had a lot of different legislative proposals that have been introduced. Um, Part of that is about um, sort of addressing some of the regulatory concerns that could lead to an FTX-like situation. But more of it, I think, has a lot to do with what's been playing out in the courts and a desire by at least some in Congress to try to keep uh, the U.S. competitive in the crypto space. And so um, it's the, most of our meetings that I have on the Hill, FTX is not brought up anymore. And I really do think we've moved beyond that moment and are having much more constructive dialogues with policymakers on Capitol Hill. I'm just glad that congressional staffers don't affil- affi- affiliate or associate rather your, um, let's call it tenure with the scoop with 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 the now sort <laughs> of um, disgraced former billionaire. When when you think about the landscape right now, okay, they've maybe moved on uh, a bit, but it doesn't seem like they've moved on in a in a positive direction. They're they're less thinking about Sam and more thinking about how to stop the next Sam, which which might uh, result in some, you know, uh, might result in a landscape that's less favorable. How are you um, navigating that? Yeah, no. Well, listen, I think, you know, there's definitely a split among Congress, right? I mean, there there is certainly a set of lawmakers that are concerned about crypto. Um, A lot of those concerns actually are more on sort of the anti-money laundering side than they are with market behavior. Um, There there are a lot of national security briefings right now where senators are going into the the SCIF underground to get their confidential information. And they're hearing about uh, North Korean nuclear weapons program being funded by crypto. That's probably our biggest problem right now, more than sort of the fraudulent um, uh, sort of concerns around how the crypto markets work. Um, That's sort of on one end of the spectrum. But on the other end of the spectrum, we've got folks like Patrick McHenry and G.T. Thompson, who are the chairs of the House Financial Services Committee and House Agriculture Committee, respectively. Um, You know, it wasn't widely covered this summer, but they did a Herculean effort and got a comprehensive legislative regulatory proposal through their two committees, which is um, the first time we've ever seen any substantial crypto legislation 
make it through the committee process. I mean, what we've seen to date is a lot of bills introduced. That is step one. Uh, step two is getting the bill through a committee process. And, you know, certainly we think there could be improvements to that legislation, and we're continuing to work with our offices to suggest changes. But, you know, this is the first time we've seen something of this level. And I expect that we will see a vote on this legislation on the House floor this fall. Um, and so we might actually have comprehensive CRISPO legislation make it all the way through one of the two chambers of Congress. So, you know, still a few steps to go before it gets to the president's desk. Which has never happened not, before? Not, uh, not something like this. The only time we've seen debate um, on the floor of Congress was really over on the Senate side two years ago with the infrastructure bill. That was a very sort of targeted provision. Sure, sure. But that was um, a, Yeah, this is the first time where there's something yeah. that really aims to address the questions that have been core to the crypto industry all along. Like what, you know, what is the security? What is the commodity? How do we define digital assets into that? Can we create a federal regulator so that we can have some oversight of these markets? Can we add consumer protections into the mix? And so this is, um, you know, this, this is a long, we, we've come a long way in the, you know, five years that I've come, been doing come, this. Come a long way since uh, the, the, the token taxonomy act. We got to yeah, well, Blow I know it's, the it's, dust you, of you that. laugh at that, but you know, not laughing. When, yeah, so I'm five smiling. years ago, yeah, no, it's 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 it was one step, but five years ago was the start of the blockchain association, and already at that time, uh, Warren Davidson, who is still a great champion for crypto attempted to address these issues. And it was one of the things that we were advising on and working on right in the few first early months um, of, of the Blockchain Association. And at that time, it was a huge achievement to merely get something introduced, right? We got the bill introduced at the at the in December of 2018, a couple days before the end of the Congress, at which point everything resets and moves forward. And so it's taken us five years to go from nearly getting a bill introduced, a flawed bill, but you know, a good effort bill, uh, to now having something much more comprehensive that is being led by the chairmans of the two committees that have jurisdiction. And so, um, you know, it's an important milestone, I think. I think it's one that quite frankly, was sort of maybe under-celebrated. I, I get the sense that uh, there are there are f far few uh, sort of reporters in this space that have been assigned to the crypto beat these days. You know, a year ago, we were, every news publication had somebody who was newly, freshly assigned. I think a lot of those folks have been been reassigned, but I think it was a really important moment. Um, you know, I, I think it shows that it's going to take a little time, but we will get a law. We will get a regulatory framework. And, um, you know, it might not happen this year, but it's going to happen in the next couple of years. And the U.S. is going to have a framework just like everyone else around the world. And so, um, you know, I think it's important for the industry to keep engaging and to try to make sure that that framework is correct. But I do think, going back to your original question, there are those in Congress that are trying to do this right. It's it's not an easy task. Um and I think as long as we keep working with them um, and providing um, kind of constructive feedback and to helping educate those in their colleagues in Congress who are less familiar, you know, we're going to get there. Yeah, fair enough. And I think it sets the stage, uh, your answer to uh, maybe bringing it a bit broader as we're sitting in this summer recess to think, what should we expect in fall and and sort of how are you gearing up? gearing up for that. I feel like just based on what you said, this is this is kind of the core component. Um, but what maybe sits at the peripheral? 
Yeah, no. So I think there, um, you know, there's a couple of different avenues for affecting policy, right? Um, one of them is legislation. And as I mentioned, I do believe we will see a vote on the House floor on this, um, the Fit for the 21st Century Act and stablecoin legislation. You know, there's two different bills uh, that are working their way through right now. I, I do think we will see those uh, past the House floor. Um, but, you know, I also think we're going to see some interesting developments in the courts. Like we should sometime between now and the next couple of months get a ruling on the Grayscale case. Um, you know, it's, I think the the odds are that that's going to be somewhat favorable and that should pave the way for uh, a, a spot ETF to be approved at some point. So I think that's something, um, you know, that we're, we're looking forward to as well. Um, and I also think we're going to start to see Congress engage on other issues. I think we're going to see a lot more discussion on tax policy and what needs to be done both on the regulatory side and the legislative yeah. side, um, and also the anti-money laundering side. But but no, I think we're going to see some positive developments on the legislative front and in the courts. Well, I want to dive into the stablecoin bit for sure and the ETF bit for sure. Let's talk stablecoins, right? Because we had the headlines um, earlier this month out of PayPal. Obviously, Maxine Waters isn't a fan. But you mentioned there's two specific bills out there. Juxtapose them for us and and just give us a temperature check um, yeah. of, of sort of Stable coins relative to everything else on the hill, I would imagine, you know, given that uh, many of these are just U.S. dollar back, not super controversial relative to like uh, Obama meme coin or even Bitcoin. Um, what's the what's the temperature check there and juxtapose those two bills? Yeah. So when we look across the spectrum of policy issues impacting crypto, stable coin policy is the lowest hanging fruit. That This is an issue that. Congress has been debating and holding hearings on going back to 2019. Um, they, uh, the the Republicans, the Democrats in Congress, and the White House agree on probably 95 percent of the structure. They're down to a couple of issues. Um, there have been, you know, as is common in Congress, productive conversations and then unproductive conversations. Um, it was interesting in that uh, if you look back at the markup that the House Financial Services Committee held back in July, this is where they, you know, debate legislation and take amendments to legislation. The stablecoin bill actually ended up being quite contentious uh, because uh, Chairman McHenry and Ranking Member Waters had been having some pretty productive conversations. And then at the last minute, the White House came in and uh, sort of blew up that effort. Um, but that being said, they're very close, right? They're sort of down to issues around what is the role of the states in stablecoin regulation. If you look at the um, the banking system, you sort of have a dual banking regulator. Uh, you've got companies today like Paxos, for example, that has a New York trust right license and a New York bit license. And they're, you know, regulated at the state level, and that seems to be working fairly well. Um, what the stablecoin legislation currently does is provides a federal um, framework. And so it's trying to figure out what is the role of states versus federal that seems to be the open issue. But aside from that, they're really, really close. And this is one of those that I think, you know, as we hear the news about companies like PayPal coming in and having their own stablecoin, 
I think that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on both Congress and the White House to strike a deal. And I think as we get closer to the end of Congress and the legislation continues moving through the process, I think that there's a very high likelihood that this is legislation that will get done um, you know, maybe not, if not by the end of this year, by the end of 2024, you have to remember Congress is running two cycles or two year cycles. They have two years to get a bill done. Um, and I definitely think that this is something that has a very high likelihood of getting done this Congress. And what do you think that bill will, will look like? What, what, what would it change for some of the operators in this space, namely a, a circle or a, or a Paxos? Will they have to do anything differently? Yeah, no, I think so. For somebody like a circle, this would give them a federal regulator, right? It would provide guidelines for what reserves look like. It would provide disclosures um, in a uniform way for, uh, you know, audits of reserves and things of that nature. These are fairly basic consumer protections um, and safety and soundness issues that are being addressed. By, by this legislation. And I think by having this framework in place, um, you know, it will really allow stablecoins to be more widely adopted within the payment system. And so I'm, we're really excited about it. It's, in fact, it's the only legislation uh, in terms of an issue that that Blockchain Association has, has really rallied around getting done this year. We think, again, as I mentioned before, it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's it's one whose time has arrived. And it's, it's pretty clear um, that that Congress needs to act. And so I think this is one that can get done. And it seems like there's a lot of momentum behind it. Uh, what what else is ahead this fall? Yeah, so the other big bill, and, and this one I think has even broader um, implications for the industry, is the market structure legislation. This yeah. is this is an this this legislation attempts to um, decide when tokens are regulated by the SEC and when they're regulated by the CFTC and then provide a, a sort of a compliance regime that uh, exchanges have to follow in order to ensure that they're um, the markets that they operate have in integrity. Um, and it's a little bit of a complex piece of legislation. It, it defines digital assets and it and within that digital asset category, there are these restricted digital assets that are regulated by the SEC and traded on an alternative trading system at the SEC. And then there are digital commodities that are um, within the jurisdiction of the CFTC and are traded on digital commodity exchanges. Um, these restricted digital assets apply to insiders that in an early stage of a project, whether they be the project themselves or um, venture capitalists, that they have additional disclosures. Because if you think about it, in the beginning of projects, there really are sort of insiders and outsiders. But as something moves through the life cycle, it becomes more commodity-like. And so another important, important thing that this legislation does is define what a decentralized network is and essentially creates a test to determine if something is a restricted digital asset or a digital commodity. So it would work, it, it, it has a very difficult task, right? Because the US has such a bifurcated financial regulatory system, it's very different than other jurisdictions around the globe. This attempts to use that existing system and give each of these agencies a different role in regulating the ecosystem at a different time in its life cycle. So again, it's not a perfect piece of legislation. We're continuing to provide 
uh, comments. It's, 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 it's pretty complicated, but um, it's not impossible to work with. And it's something that, you know, we think that if it were to move forward would, um, you know, give a lot of confidence to uh, institutional investors to traditional tech companies and other players to enter this space because they know there is a clear and you know workable regulatory framework in place. And so um, this this one is is uh, much more comprehensive than the stablecoin bill, and it would impact not only the exchanges but early stage investors, uh, teams of software developers. Uh, you know, and it has a lot of implications. But it's it's a it's a really strong effort, and it's one that has incredibly powerful champions. And so it's something that we're taking very seriously, and we're trying to get that language in the best place possible, so that it is as workable as possible if it becomes signed into law. Kristen, is it overly sim- simplistic to contextualize it, or or think about it in in light of uh, Judge Torres's ruling? If she maybe if if this law were on the books, as it were, this could have been something that maybe would have made her job a bit easier in figuring out, okay, was the sale of XRP to these institutional uh, counterparties that of a sale of an uh, unregistered security Uh, might add just a bit more clarity in that in that process. Or maybe we wouldn't have even gone uh, to the point of a suit if if we had uh, those sort of clear parameters in place. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, this all ties in together. So what we've seen is there hasn't been these clear parameters in place. And so what Ripple is doing and many of the other cases out there, including Coinbase, is they're trying to use the courts to help find that clarity based off of their interpretation of the law. The problem we've had is Gary Gensler and the SEC views the law very differently than all of the securities lawyers working in the crypto industry, right? Like they're they're very much opposed. And so the in the Ripple case, Judge Torres said something incredibly important, which most people in the crypto industry have thought for a long time. And that is that something like XRP the token itself is not a security. This is this is something that has made sense to us. It goes back so when you wrap it up into something else. Right. It's when it's part of this this investment contract, this scheme where you know the investment of XRP uh, is part of the efforts of you know Ripple or somebody you know to to create value there. That whole like contraption is a security, but the XRP itself is not a security. And so you know it's interesting because the 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 legislation we're looking at right now actually gives quite a large role to the SEC. I think if the Ripple decision had come down earlier, um, that legislation might look a little bit different today. Again, it's still, I think, probably workable. But, but no, if the legislation were in place, I don't think we would be seeing the litigation that we're seeing at Ripple or at Coinbase or at, even at any of the other earlier projects like Kick and Telegram and others that that um, you know haven't had such success in courts because there would be a framework in place where projects and teams of developers would know how to launch, venture capitalists would have a pathway to invest in those projects, and we wouldn't be having um, all of this back and forth that we're having in the courts today. But I will say having these wins in the courts is very valuable. Um, you know, they, they feed off of each other, right? It's very valuable in Congress because we're not all of a sudden this like, 
industry of scoff laws. Yeah, we're saying no, like the courts are backing us up and saying that, you know, the SEC doesn't have a role to play here. So that that's a very good sign. Um, Similarly, I think the legislation is very helpful in the courts. And this was something that we discussed in our amicus brief that we issued last week um, in support of Coinbase and urging, you know, the dismissal of the SECs against Coinbase. And it's that this is really a role for Congress. The, the SEC is wrong. They don't have jurisdiction over all dis- digital assets except for Bit- Bitcoin, you know, that there are you know, major questions here. And that's is a role for Congress to play in determining how that regulation should work. And the courts should not be, you know, sort of deferring to the agency's interpretation that there's something much broader here. And so these two things are going hand in hand. We have this, you know, sort of legal track, this legislative track, and they're going to continue to, I think, to play off of each other until we get, uh, you know, strong legislation in place. I'm going to ask a, a question that might be dumb. And if it's dumb, I'll, I'm going to take it out because I don't want to look dumb. But, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> what happens if this bill passes and gets signed by the president? Does the <laughs> I don't know if this is a dumb question or not. Does the SEC's case like go away? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, that's not a dumb question. Um, and listen, I'm not a lawyer, but my understanding is like they would have an ability to make some sort of a motion could, like, to appeal have, it or something, have this yeah. go away. Yeah, have it yeah. I mean, it w- I think the case would be sort of moot because there's now a new regulatory framework going forward. I mean, I guess they would be able to look retroactively, but I think they would have a really good, uh, really good case. But again, I actually don't know the answer to that. You should probably ask like a lawyer, but my okay, maybe it's not. Not, maybe it's not a yes, dumb question. <laughs> um, uh, it's not a dumb question. I, yeah, it's, it just doesn't like stop. Um, so, okay, that's that's interesting. Um, it sounds like the ripples going like a step further in terms of um, I, I I would I would wager that they they think neither situation um, is um, you know a sale of unregistered securities. That video was so great that the I mean. Whether you're on either side, the scoop respects both sides of this this matter. Um, Pro Gensler, anti Gensler, you're all welcome to listen to the show. Uh, but that was pretty. It was pretty sharp um, in terms of just like ripping off of it, or you know, kind of m- memeing it, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And like for those who haven't seen it, you know, Gary Gensler is very famous for having these, uh, you know, little videos that he puts out every time he does some, off hours something big or, or, and office yeah. hours with Gary Gensler. And then, yeah, uh, Ripple's uh, chief legal officer, Stu Alderati, who's who's a great guy, by the way, um, he came out and did After Hours with Stu, uh, <laughs> where he sort of made a Gary Gensler-like uh, parody video that was, I thought, a really, really effective way uh, to communicate this very complex securities law issue. So, yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, I think it's it's really great to see, you know, the industry, I think, celebrate Ripple, I think. You know, Ripple's been very controversial over the past couple of years. And I think, you know, another point I wanted to make today is that I think both from a legal and policy perspective, the industry has really matured. There, there are a lot of professionals in this space now that are very respectful of one another. Um, in Washington, yeah. there's a lot of lobbyists. There's a lot of communications professionals. Like people are working together in a really 
uh, sort of mature and sophisticated way. And it's not like the wild, wild west anymore, where like there's like three people on the ground in Washington trying to piece it all together. There's actually a pretty organized effort and, um, you know, just mature professionals who've got experience in this area that are trying to solve these problems. And it's, it's just a totally different feel than, you know, the past five years, like that the past six months has been just a different moment. And I think it's also one of the reasons why we're seeing so much progress on legislation and so much progress in the courts is that companies are really putting resources into solving these problems. They're not ignoring them. They're not trying to fight them. They're, they're trying to be constructive. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, maybe it's, it's sort of part of being in a, a bear market or it's just sort of where we are in the life cycle of crypto. But regardless of what the reason is, we're, we're just at this time where, you know, the pieces are in place to solve these problems. And um, that makes me very excited because that's something I've been spending a lot of my time on over the past couple of years. I mean, we're, we're a bit, I mean, the space is a bit lucky that two of the, um, you know, folks have, or two of the firms that have found themselves in the ire of the regulators are well capitalized and, have actually put in the energy and effort to building out these policy, um, um, you know, uh, uh, operations, uh, which probably didn't exist like even two, three years ago. And they're willing to go the distance as well, right? I mean, they, the, I mean, the SEC, to their credit, picked. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a worthy contender in a sense. Um, I, I want to be thoughtful of your time. There's a lot more I want to squeeze in. Um, maybe thinking about what's going on with Treasury. Um, obviously, a lot of crypto people think there's all this sort of coordination between different groups. Um, and then, you know, I've heard whisperings that Treasury's maybe more keen to step in where maybe Gary Gensler, Chair Gensler, have, has fallen short. Can you walk us through maybe some of the dynamics between these different agencies and how they're um, thinking about, I don't know, cracking down crypto, for lack of a better phrase? What's the... What's the sense that you have? Yeah, no. So the sense that I have, you know, is that Treasury Department and the White House are fairly well connected. Um, I do think that, you know, sort of Elizabeth Warren and some of her people have connections with the White House, but Janet Yellen and the Treasury also have um, a pretty large role to play over there. And I get the sense that those in the Treasury Department find Gary Gensler to be not much of a team player. You know, the Fed and Treasury and the White House are all sort of trying to work together. And Gensler's sort of off doing his like own thing. And I get the sense that there is, uh, you know, sort of some tension there. Um, I mean, listen, I think for the most part, if you look across the federal agencies, the Treasury Department is very, fairly neutral. Um, I, I don't think Janet Yellen wakes up every morning thinking like, oh, I got to get rid of this crypto thing. I think she's like, <laughs> I don't know if this is a thing or not, but we just need to make sure there's regulation in place. And she said that, um, you know, in media appearances, she's said that when testifying before Congress that, yeah, Congress needs to pass some legislation to fix the stablecoin issue, to fix the market regulatory issues. And, you know, I think she's fairly, fairly neutral. I think sure. where Treasury has a role to play that it can be very important for the industry is on the anti-money laundering side and on the sanctions side. And the authorities there, I believe, are very good, right? The, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which oversees anti-money laundering issues, 
was the very first federal agency back in 2013 to issue guidance related to what they called virtual currencies at the time. Um, you know, they're really ahead of the game and they know how to use the analytics tools that are out there. Um, and I think that they are doing, you know, their mission. Um, I think where, you know, the concern sort of is, is are there, there is, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, some members, particularly on the Senate side that are very focused on national security that are concerned that Treasury doesn't have enough authority, that they want Treasury to have more information around who owns self-hosted wallets or yeah. more ability to just sort of shut down entire um, technologies because uh, they could part of it could be using for you know illicit financial purposes. Um, that's the type of tough stuff that scares me. It's not Treasury so much itself, but it's what, what Congress could try to give to Treasury at this time. Of course, a lot of this is like dependent on the leaders, but um, but yeah. That sounds a little bit about, sounds a little bit like Elizabeth Warren's bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there are, um, uh, there's a couple different bills. Elizabeth Warren has an effort. Um, there's also a new bill called the Can-C Act, um, and this would just make the requirements that are put on different parts of the ecosystem so burdensome that it would essentially, you know, sort of work as a de facto ban. And so, you know, what mm. our job is, is to go around and teach this now new set of policymakers, right? Because we've, you know, as again, as I was saying, there's only been a few people working yeah. on this. We've been very focused on market regulators and financial services regulators. We now have to go to the national security community and be like, all right, you know, there are unique characteristics of blockchains that make this technology better than traditional financial services. And if we start to bifurcate the world into one where we have full visibility into who's doing what transactions, that's going to push all of the criminal activity into a very dark world where we have no insight. We have to be able to have those worlds connect if we're going to find out any information about this dark world. And so I think the national security arguments are strong, um, but we have a lot of education to do around that. Because if you're a senator who doesn't know much about crypto, you read some headlines that there's this weird guy, SBF, who did a bunch of sketchy things, and now you're hearing about North Korea, like you you don't see the good that everyone is building in this space. And so that's part of the challenge that we have, you know, heading through the end of the year and into 2024 is um, working on those issues as well. Kristen, how much energy have the aliens sucked out of, out of crypto policy? Are people <laughs> more focused on aliens these days and whether or not XRP is a security? Yeah. Yeah, there was um, a competing hearing on aliens in Congress uh, during the same time as the markup on uh, sort of groundbreaking crypto. I have to be honest, I didn't listen to the latter. I listened to the former. Ah, <laughs> no, don't <laughs> tell me that. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, Congress has a lot of things on their mind, right? Like we've got sort of this inflation issue that may or may not be under control. Yeah. We've got a massive spending problem. Um AI is super sexy right now. I mean, I joke that maybe I should quit my job and go join the AI association so people will want to talk to me again. But um, no, the, the you know, Congress kind of goes Por with que no the, dos. the thing The yeah, they, they, they tend to to, you know, want to be insert themselves in the headlines. And there are more headlines right now on other issues, which, quite frankly, is probably healthy because there was so much 
uh, sort of excitement around this before that I think it fueled and empowered, you know, the bad guys, sure. and manipulative people like FSBF to, to take too much headline. So, um, so yeah, no, listen, Congress, the right people in Congress are thinking about this and the, there's the infrastructure on the ground to influence those that, that don't yet fully see the light. So we're going to continue to fight the good fight, um, you know, with our friends and allies in DC. Fair enough. Okay. But, but seriously, so in terms of like energy thoughts, you know, aliens are, I mean, are people still talking about this in DC or no, no, we're no, moved no. on to semi, like semiconductors a passing, a passing and whatnot. Week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any closing thoughts? Um, I know we covered a lot of ground. We always do anything else top of mind. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can, uh, I feel like, is it just me? Because I've, I've been, uh, you know, kind of focused on work not paying too much attention to election nonsense, but any highlights there or are we seeing anything surprising out of the candidates? Yeah. I mean, I listen for is Hunter Biden pro crypto. Have we gotten Gus gotten a sense of that? (laughs) I I don't know if Hunter Biden is, is pro crypto, but you know, if you look at who is pro crypto, you've got RFK jr. Who's very pro Bitcoin pro crypto. You know, I think we're going to have Gavin Newsom. That's just my prediction. Um, he's been fairly open to crypto. He vetoed the bill in California last year um, and, you know, comes from the Silicon Valley sure. world and, uh, you know, at least their constituents. And, um, you know, I think he's open minded. Um, we've got DeSantis, who in his opening Twitter spaces talked about Bitcoin. We've got Vivek Ramaswamy, who's said very positive things uh, about Bitcoin and and crypto. Um, You know, I've talked to Pompeo and others in the past that seem to be open-minded on this. So I think if I had to make a prediction, I I don't, I am in it and take this with a grain of salt because I'm a, you know, policy influence person, not necessarily an election prediction person, but here's my election prediction. I don't think we're going to have Trump Biden. I think something is going to go wrong with one of them. Um, They're, they're both old. Um, Trump has got new indictments every day. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but I think that at least one of our two candidates is going to end up being fairly pro crypto. And I think that's going to be uh, a game changer for the industry. I think we could potentially even see a question at some point on the debate stage about this. Um, you know, I think this has gone from an obscure issue to, uh, you know, you're sort of an outlier if you don't have a, a a somewhat reasonable position on crypto. And so, um, you know, I think Biden, Biden's just too old to get it right. He's, this is, this is, he's got bigger things on his mind. Uh, this is not something that's interesting to him, but it's really great to see these other presidential candidates coming in and talking about this. And we're, we got a long ways to go. And I think there's a good chance that one side or the other is going to have a problem and we might end up with, um, you know, one, if not two pro crypto candidates. So I'm, that's again, not my my expert opinion, but my personal opinion. We shall see. I mean, Trump apparently owns Ethereum, upwards yeah, of I mean, uh, five hundred thousand, according to that. Be on it that much if he's got got an ETH yeah, holding. Evidently, um, evidently, Melania's got her NFTs. <laughs> yeah, so does he. Let's let's not forget, uh, Kristen Smith of the Blockchain Association. Thanks for joining the program. Yeah, great to be here, Frank. And the scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.